So we are looking at Galatians 5. Let me read a portion of the passage quickly, and then we'll talk a bit today about goodness, or at least the goodness of God. So this is Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when I think about uh, goodness, at least from what I've learned that goodness means from God's perspective, I found that I think often our picture of goodness is slightly askew. Let me tell you more. We sang two songs about God being good, right? He's a good father and the goodness of God. Um, which are very meaningful songs, but I'm not sure that when people sing them, they really understand what the goodness of God is, right? We'll talk more. Let me tell you a story first. So about a year or a year and a half ago, I had this, what I would describe as a very real, helpful, and painful conversation with my supervisor. She is the National Director of Spiritual Formation in her varsity. She's very um, good at listening and following God and leading people into his presence. Um, It was a short conversation, but very meaningful for me. And it was a way I feel like I experienced the goodness of God, but it it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. (laughs) I was talking to her about a staff I supervise. So I wear two hats, right? One hat, I'm working nationally, helping people grow in spiritual formation. And another hat, I work regionally in Wisconsin and Minnesota and the Dakotas supervising staff. And I was supervising this one staff that was really difficult. He was negative about everything. He constantly complained. It was hard for him to forgive. He had very, very little good to say about others. And I didn't know how to approach him about it. I really needed to talk with him about it. So I began to describe this situation, asking for help from, from Carolyn. Her name is Carolyn, my supervisor, what I should do or how I could help him and speak into his issues. And so what, this is what she said to me. These are, this is my abbreviation. She said, hmm, that's interesting. So you find him, compl- he complains a lot. He seems pretty angry at work. He, there doesn't seem to be any way to really help him, and he doesn't seem to be able to forgive. Sounds kind of like you. <laughs> she didn't say it quite like that. What she said was, that's how I perceive you. Now, I was like, wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> now, you have to understand, she's from New York, right? And they just say it directly. Hey, guess what? That's your problem, you know. Here, you would think that, but you would never say it, right? It's who we are, right? It's our culture, the culture there. And it, and it, was, a, it was painful because it didn't take long for me. It, it took me about 10 seconds for me to realize that she was actually right. In a lot of situations and circumstances, I was complaining about things that were going on. I was angry. I was struggling to forgive people. Um, and there didn't seem to be any way to help me. 
or to speak to me about this issue. It was kind of like Carolyn in that moment, and this is what she did. She didn't use this verse, right, in an indirect way. She didn't say, well, I like the verse that says, you know, we need to pull the log out of our own eye before we pull the splinter out of our, of our neighbors, right? Instead, she just told me directly, but that's exactly what it was. And as bad as I felt in that particular moment, knowing that she was right, I began to become open and ask God to help me grow in this particular area, right? Doesn't mean I've attained it yet. I still struggle. Um, But I'm a lot more aware of that part of myself. And there is a desire in me to partner with God in order to change, right? And And I share this with you for a couple of reasons. One is because I want you to know about this reality and also help have you help me, right? Because we're a body and that's kind of how it works. If you hear me do that, you can help me address that in myself. Rather than looking to the issue I'm complaining about, look to what's in my heart and why that's coming out that way, right? But another was because I think I realized um, that... um, God's goodness isn't always pleasant. It's not always nice. It's not always happy. And I think when we sing it, we're thinking of like, oh, how wonderful God is, right? And what if the goodness of God was him sitting down with you saying, there's some things about you that I don't like and you need to change, right? Or if he sat down with us as a body and said, there's some things about you that aren't good and need to be addressed. That's part of his goodness. Because I'll explain more about this. The goodness of God and goodness is really righteousness and holiness. Right? It's not feeling good. It's being good in the truest sense. No, no, no. I, in fact, I have to talk with him this week. <laughs> and this is a year or more later because it keeps coming back over and over again. Even in the midst of working through my issues, I have to find a way in order to help him acknowledge the, um, just the, his uh, unhappiness, his lack of joy in his own life and begin to address the issues, whatever it might be, rather than looking to someone else to look to himself first. Right? So thanks for asking that. It's a hard situation. But I, but I care about him, and I see it through different perspectives. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm frustrated, but not as frustrated, <laughs> you know, because I see, I see it in myself, and that reality helps me, helps temper things a little bit and have more um, love for him, right? Pray for him and think of ways to help him through. Anyway, um, anyway, does this, does this make sense? You know what I'm talking about? See, really, if you look up the word good in the dictionary, it defines good, it says as an adjective, it's something that is pleasant, enjoyable, and desired. Right? Pleasant, enjoyable, and desired. Isn't that what we often define good as? We think God is good. He gives us good things. They're pleasant, enjoyable, and desired. But as a noun, it's something that is morally right or righteous. Something that's holy and set apart. 
right? Now, those things don't have to be completely different. They can be the same thing if you see it from God's perspective. Whenever God does something good, even if it isn't something pleasant or enjoyable for us, right, it's still right and helpful and holy for us to be able to receive. I mean, I was thinking of this, what does Scripture say about discipline? Anybody? There you go. Way to go, Lori. Yeah. It's painful for a time, right? But it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Why? Because it's for our good. Right? That's why God does it. And he doesn't want us to run away from it, but to receive it as a good gift from him. It's like a, everybody, most, well, many of us here are parents, right? And we understand the importance of discipline, right? We understand that we don't discipline because we're ang- we're, we hate our children, right? We don't discipline because we want to beat the life out of them to make them, you know, grovel. We, we do it because we love them and we recognize that they need to learn how to be different and to act different. They, you right? Because we don't just live alone. It's not about us. We live in community with others. We need to learn how to love, how to respect, how to cherish. And the same is true with God, right? I mean, the one, the, I really like that. He's a good, good father, right? A good father disciplines his children. And so we need to see goodness from that perspective, right? And that's very different than what I see culture's definition of goodness because I think it's more the adjective, something that's pleasant or desirable. Might be some of the reason why people don't necessarily like God because his goodness is very difficult. But this is the same goodness that he wants to produce through us, right? The actual Greek word is that Paul uses is agathosune, agathosune. And I'm going to tell you this. It's a very interesting word, similar to agape, but even more focused. It's only used four times in Scripture, and that's the only time you'll ever find that Greek word anywhere. Paul made it up. He did. No one else did. It's only in Paul's writing. And every time it refers to the same thing. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit work through us that produces goodness. That's the good that it produces, right? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's in Galatians 5, which is the passage we're looking at. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? It's in Ephesians 5. For you were once dark, but now you are light. In the Lord live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Right? It's in Second Thessalonians. Right? It says, By his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. Same word. And your every deed prompted by faith. Right? And it's also in Romans. It doesn't use the word fruit, but it talks about something similar said so that he says may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit i myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another right so the connection there is holy spirit in each case the fruit is born by the work of god's spirit within us not individuals 
us together as a community, right? This goodness is to be extended between each other. It's not just for me alone. It's for us as a body that we might become more like Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is when you look at the goodness of God, right? Scripture talks about the goodness of God throughout, right? There's just all the ways. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the good in the New Testament. The Bible repeatedly proclaims that God is good. His goodness is abundant. His goodness is always with us. Everything good comes from God. He fills our hungry souls with good things. He is good, does good, and gives good gifts to his children, right? goes on. And then there's a theologian. His name's James Brian Smith. Anybody know him? He writes books, right? Yes. Good spiritual formation books. And he defines goodness as, as this, that which works for the benefit or betterment of another. That which is good makes us better, heals us, restores us, improves us, strengthens us, and makes us right. And, and this is key. In his goodness, God will always act in alignment with his character, which is holy and righteous, right? He will always act in ways that are righteous and just and holy. Right? So, that, so the root word of this word that Paul made up, agathosune, right? is agathos. That's used throughout scripture and it's a Greek, common Greek word, which means good, right? And it means good as a positive quality, good as a moral quality versus evil, right? Good, clear, right, better, favor, generous, right? Goes on and on. And when we talk about the moral quality, you know, we're talking about it, we talk, when we use agathos for a person, we're talking about a moral quality of that person. Right? That's an aspect of who they are. But when we talk about God, we're talking about his nature. It's kind of the bottom line, right? We know God is love, but we also know God is holy, right? God is set apart. It's found, it, and just as love is foundational, so is goodness, the goodness of God, right? And you, another way to put it, Lori and I were talking about it this morning, um, Although God is good means he is holy, he is holy and completely righteous, holy and completely holy, right? His holy and righteousness. If you look at love as, as the foundation for, for all, everything, maybe holiness is, or this goodness is the umbrella that everything falls under. The thing about the fruit is they're all interconnected, right? I knew when Carolyn spoke to me that I was, she was true because I wasn't, living out the fruit of the Spirit. Was my response, my anger, my frustration done in love, done with peace, done with joy, right? Was it done with, with, with kindness? No, it wasn't. It wasn't any of those things. I knew immediately, as soon as she spoke, that none of those fruit were evident in my reaction um, that she had seen before and was calling out in me. I even remembered the exact moment, the one issue that that she was referring to, there were probably a few others, where she and I had been together and we were meeting with a member of the board of InterVarsity who I was angry with because of some decisions that we'd made, she'd made. And we started talking about decisions and I just went after her right there. And Carolyn, who was with me, was trying to pull me back. Like She was like, stop, shut up, what are you doing? She was basically saying that because she was trying to hire me into this role and she goes, they're gonna fire you if you keep going. Now, she was being nice, and again, being New York, I'm surprised she just didn't care if the person I was talking to said it. I eventually apologized to the person 
for the way that I had responded. It wasn't loving, it wasn't kind, and it certainly wasn't good. But you see, you see in this the, the reality of what, of what is good, morally good, require, shows itself in that when you express it, you see the fruit of the Spirit, right? And all of those things, yeah. Again, it doesn't mean it elicits, it elicits within us or the people that we're talking to a pleasant, enjoyable feeling. It might not. It might be painful and hard. But if it's done in love with joy and peace and kindness, right, it can be received. And it is for good, for the betterment of the person. Again, this is what... Um, the definition, I really like this definition. Um, yeah, so again, from James Bryan Smith, he says, that which works for the benefit or betterment of another, that which is good, makes us better, heals us, restores us, improves us, and strengthens us, and makes us right. right? You know, the interesting thing about the word agathosune in Scripture is there are no examples of it. Like Paul says, we need to be we need the goodness of God to, to be born in fruit, but he doesn't say, this is what it looks like, right? Now, there are examples of what agape love looks like, right? And, and many of the other fruits of the Spirit, but not this one. Right? So that's why I think it's more of a overall, it's a moral quality that needs to be a part of all of these things that we do. Everything that we say, the way that we act towards one another. You know, this whole thing about being good, right? And sorry, this is a little different than normally I, I do discussion. We'll talk. There'll be a discussion in a little bit. But um, there's a the great passage. The most important one about the word agathos or good comes in Jesus' discussion with the rich young man. Right? And the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life or to get eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. There's only one who is agathos. Um, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments, right? Or kind of be a good person. He knows he's setting up because no one can do this. And the man asks which ones, and Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. goes on, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man says, what, what do I still lack? And then Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Right? Anyway, that, that was actually good news. Like He was speaking goodness to this man, wasn't he? He was telling him the truth. He wanted to know how you get in heaven, right? And he told him that's what you needed to do. But actually, it was he told him more, and the guy didn't ask more questions. He gave up and walked away, right? The goodness, that was goodness that was hard to receive. But if he had received it, if he had talked with Jesus more, he might have gotten into the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, right? So his disciples, when they heard this, they said, astonished, who then can be saved? This feels absolutely impossible, right? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, right? No one is good enough, Jesus is saying. No one is completely righteous and holy, right, except God, right? And there is a way to heaven. There's only one way he would later show, and it's through me, right? 
Because God is good, he not only speaks the truth to us, that you can't do this on your own, that you failed, but he also, in his goodness, provides a way for us to get into heaven. Does this make sense? Yeah, right? Um, But it's hard. Speaking good, being good, sometimes requires saying difficult and painful things to others. Um, And yet, this is a, a fruit of the Spirit that exists because God lives within us. So now I want to get into a little bit of application. How are we doing on time? 11.20. All right. All right. Um, So I think we know this isn't just true about goodness. It's true about all fruit, right? That the key to bearing fruit isn't working harder. It's not, not trying harder, right? It's not about learning more. It's about relationship. And that's why a couple weeks ago I gave you uh, a, a sheet, and on the back side we didn't get to do it, was a, was a Lectio Divina on John 15, and specifically verse 5, right? And the key verse in that is, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain connected to me, and, and I remain connected to you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. Right? It's all about relationship. That's the key. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain connected to me and I remain connected to you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? And you know, that, that the interesting thing, and I may have spoken about this before, is actually modern science is actually telling us this is true today. Right? That there are two types of knowledge, explicit and implicit. Explicit is the knowledge you get from me right now as I'm talking at you. This will not transform you. It's interesting, but it won't transform you. What it will do is help inform the experiences or the implicit knowledge that you already have or will receive later, right? And that implicit knowledge is knowledge that you receive relationally and experientially with others, okay? And that relational knowledge is the knowledge you receive for us anyway about becoming good is what happens when we're together as a body and when we connect with Jesus. That's when we are transformed. It's the relationship. And the explicit knowledge just helps us understand and put it in context, right? So we don't misunderstand what God's trying to tell us or show us and do within us. One of the things that happened to me recently was, um, you know, I train people in a prayer ministry model called Emmanuel Prayer. And the basic idea is to help a person make a relational connection with Jesus, and then you bring to him whatever you want prayer for. And I, it's amazing when people haven't done this before and they're like, you're talking with them and they're like, where's Jesus? Yeah, wow, he's like right here with me in the room. You know, they've never experienced that before. It's fun. And then you have them begin to ask him questions. You know, what do you think about this, Jesus? Or help me with this problem that I'm having. And so I was training a group uh, with InterVarsity staff, of uh, InterVarsity staff to do this. Their main job, this team, is a national team that helps other people raise support partnership for with InterVarsity, right? It's money, it's prayer, and things like that. And in the midst of that prayer that time, I, I, I led one person through it, and then I had them lead me. I want them to learn both ways, right? right? Uh, okay, I do it, you watch, or you participate, you do it, I watch. It's kind of a back and forth thing, and it's actually an experiential way of learning. Okay? So we're, and we're doing this, and we're connecting with Jesus. So this person's leading me through this 
the model. It's my time. And I'm sitting with Jesus in this really beautiful memory. And I say to, to Jesus, I've been struggling to write my prayer letter, Jesus. Why am I having such a hard time? Right? Got to write a prayer letter. Got to let people know what's going on. Haven't done it in a long time. Really struggling. And Jesus says to me, you've never asked me to do it with you. That's very different, right? Now, this is how I usually do it. Jesus, please help me. How many of you can relate to this? I've got a problem. Help me fix this. So it's kind of like, give me the power I need, and then I'll take care of it. All right? You can go ahead and do whatever. I know you're busy. you got a lot going on. I'll do this. Okay, just give me some help here. Or show me what I need to do, and then I'll do it, right? And that's not what he's saying here. He goes, I want you to invite me to do this with you. It's very different, right? Very different way of looking at it. It's called partnership. He wants to partner with me, and I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on a second. So I really like it when God confirms things to me, right? He kind of says, no, no, you heard correctly. So this is how I know I heard correctly. A couple days later, this video from the Bible Project pops up on my feed. I don't know why it showed up. I wasn't searching under partnership with Jesus anywhere, but this video shows up. So do you want to, you ready to show it? Watch this. And as you think about this, listen to this, think about the invitation Jesus is making to us to grow in the fruit of the spirit, right? If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. 
And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah. And what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. whose purpose is to bring in the goodness and peace of God. It's pretty beautiful what God is inviting us into. And it's not that he's asking us to do that in our own strength and power. He's inviting us to do that in partnership with him. I'm going to, we've, we started a little late. I'm going to go about 10 more minutes. Okay. Just for you guys to be able to enter into this. I want you to experience it. So here's what I want you to do. Sit up straight, put your hands on your lap or whatever. Okay, and I want you to, to, we're going to do just a real quick relaxation exercise, all right, a calming exercise. So um, I want you to, um, I want you to uh, take in a a deep breath, and I'm going to count to four, and then I'm going to have you hold it for seven, all right, and then I'm going to have you breathe out slowly for eight, okay? 
So ready? So take a deep breath. One, two, three, four. Hold it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Breathe out slowly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Take a couple more breaths. Just relax. Okay, now open your eyes and look around the room. I want you to look for something that you're, or someone that you're thankful for and just take a moment to reflect on that person or that thing. Okay, now find something else. Just look around the room for something or someone that you're thankful for. Reflect on why you're thankful. Okay, and one more time. One more thing. There's a lot that we can be thankful for, even in our midst right here. Okay, close your eyes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord to bring up an experience that you've had where you've experienced God's goodness. Not going to define what that is. You ask the Lord, and he'll show you. Lord, I pray for each of us you'd bring into our hearts and minds an experience of your goodness, a way we've experienced your goodness. It could be pleasant or unpleasant, as you desire it. Don't spend a lot of time. First thing that comes to your mind. Spend a few minutes reflecting on it. What happened? Where were you? Who were you with? And maybe you need to ask the Lord, why was this a way that you were expressing your goodness to me? How did you do that, Jesus? Just do that until you begin to understand or you begin to feel appreciation for that memory. And if you're in that place, I want you to ask Jesus one more question. Jesus, what do you want to say to me today about this memory? All right, share with someone sitting next to you. If you had a memory or something came to your mind, a way you experienced the goodness of God.
So, again, theologian James Brian Smith defines goodness as that which works for the benefit or betterment of another, that which is good makes us better, heals us, restores us, improves us, strengthens us, and makes us right or righteous. In my mind, it's whatever helps us become more like Jesus. So, so Lord, thank you for um, this fruit called goodness. Thank you for all the fruit. May we more and more each day together be a place of your love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control as a way that we can testify to the whole world who you are, your virtue, your character. Thank you, Lord. Amen.